0: Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This podcast series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest research-based information on tree care. We will be providing full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners so that you can listen at your convenience and keep up to date with new developments in arboriculture. We'll be releasing a new podcast about once a month for you to download. We recommend that you subscribe to this series in iTunes or directly from the ISA website so you don't miss a single topic. If you have favorite arboricultural topics that you'd like to learn more about, please contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, the host of this series at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Today's talk is by Dr. Ed Gilman from the Environmental Horticulture Department at the University of Florida in Gainesville. He will be speaking on the effect of root pruning and planting depth on tree health, root form, and stability. This is a shortened version of the lecture that he originally presented at the ISA International Meeting in Providence, Rhode Island in July 2009.
1: What I'm going to share with you this afternoon is some work that we've been doing in the last year or so. Some things were planted several years ago. We're going to be pruning roots, uh, treating them in different ways during production, and then uh, evaluating how well they're connected to to the ground. Some of this is already up on the website there. I do need to update. I haven't updated in about a year or so, so there are some things missing. That uh, we'll hear today. Some of this is work that we done. Uh, we just finished up. One would present some fairly up-to-date uh, information. Then, first, I want to thank those that support us, and, and uh, the Tree Fund has been uh, very supportive over the years, and has probably funded 150 or so thousand dollars over the last 15 years or so. These companies here that are listed are, are Southeast U.S. companies. Many of them in Florida. And most of those folks out there have, to give you an idea of the level of support it takes to do what I'm about to present to you, most of these companies have contributed in excess of $30,000 over the last eight years, each one. So that's, that's what it takes to do this kind of research, and there are many others that I simply don't have time to list here. So wouldn't it be nice to be able to look inside here and have x-ray vision? You know, It would be wonderful, but of course we can't do that. But I think here's the challenge for us planting trees, is we want that honey locust root system with the roots spread out fairly straight, some deep roots, and some roots growing down at an angle. And here are our two choices at planting. The upper right is either a bare root or a bold and burlap tree, very typical root system. They don't all look exactly like this, but this is a pretty sort of average model. On the lower left is a typical tree produced in a container. Let's talk about planting a field grown plant first. What are the options for that plant to get established? Starting with this root system where the main roots are growing down already. One is to produce an adventitious root flare. The deeper roots, you'll notice, are still there and alive, but they really haven't produced many roots. That's option one. The second option for the tree is to produce roots primarily from the tips and this is very common. That's These are the two options the trees have, produce roots adventitiously or from the tips. Now in most soils I work with, including many of the sandy soils that I work in, the roots want to be at the surface. And so they grow up toward the surface and create an S-shaped pattern. Many of the plants that we install correctly, at the correct depth, can end up this way because the new roots come from these roots that start out in this direction and have to come up like this. And you end up with this two to three foot area between trunk and surface roots that sort of gives you the image that just this tree may have been planted deep, not necessarily. And when you wash away the soil, you can see these roots coming up to the soil surface. Now let's switch gears to a container plant. In a container, what you'll come to understand in the next 40 minutes or so, Many of the roots end up at the bottom of the pot. And so the big, the big roots are at the bottom. And when, when you plant that tree either in the soil or into a bigger pot in container production, the new roots will come primarily from the bottom of the pot. There is a tree growing from a, uh, that is growing from a 3-gallon container into a 15-gallon container. And the roots are coming primarily from the bottom of the 3-gallon container. And then with time, as everything grows, here's trees I planted seven years ago, dug up in the last couple of weeks. These are live oaks. The trunk grows, meets that original three gallon size pot where those roots were pencil lead diameter at planting. And now the roots have grown and the trunk has grown. What we need instead, I think, and this is in the hypothesis stage. We know how to grow a root system like this. I'm going to share that with you in the next few moments here. What I think we need instead is a root system that displays many roots on all different horizons along the side of the root ball. So that when that root system goes into the ground, if it's a well-drained site, the bottom roots take off. If it's a poorly-drained site, the top roots take off. Very little adjustment uh, has to occur after transplanting. So that's the working hypothesis of a spread out, natural, straight root system. tap taprooted species that will put, those from California who know this, put a taproot down 15 or 20 feet without branching. And I think that the taprooted system in nature might work really well. It doesn't work well in our urban system. And you know that as a grower, and it's just very difficult to work with. So we've taken a taprooted species and created, I think, what might be a more urban-friendly root structure. But again, it's a working hypothesis. So let's talk about some of the root form in urban landscapes, and then we'll, we'll, we'll morph into stability after planting. Let's look at a natural root system and how it develops. It looks like, if you read much of the literature on this, the deep roots that come out of the, out of the acorn, or the one tap root that comes out of the acorn, will eventually reach an area it doesn't like. Sometimes that's two inches under the soil, Sometimes that's 15 feet under the soil surface. It depends on everything, as you guys know. So once it reaches that area, it doesn't like low oxygen, too much water, high pH. A signal is sent to the top of the root system to start producing branch roots, lateral roots. and you, With time, there's these three images of a cherry tree. This is uh, prunus laura, whatever it is, cherry laurel. I, you know, you forget stuff like that. So early on, they have lots of deep roots. Then you can see the lateral roots in the middle image starting to take over. And then by the time that tree is a couple years old, the surface roots are much more prominent. This process takes place over a period of pick a time. It probably depends on a lot of things we don't understand. And then eventually you get this image that we started uh, the program with just a few moments Ago, of the root system being fairly surface-oriented, but still have a component of deep roots where drainage is, is, allows that to happen. And sometimes we get very exaggerated tap roots on, for example, pines or pecans, for instance. But you still have that component of surface roots that come out. And in this case, probably this tap root hitting the salt water there, standing uh, right, right behind where my, my wife is standing there, that taproot hitting the salt water probably was the impetus for uh, promoting the surface roots at the top of the taproot. So here's a magnolia in the woods, naturally germinated. And you can see with time, and this tree's about 10 years old, with time, these surface roots start to develop. Here's an ash to give you sort of a cutaway view of the whole thing. And then a hickory in the woods showing this superficial root system. And then from these laterals, sinker roots develop. And in well-drained sites, these sinker roots are able to go straight down and anchor the tree. They're very, very important on well-drained sites, these sinker roots. With a tree like this, here's willow oak in North Carolina, very surface root oriented. But what's underneath those, remember, What's underneath those horizontal rope-like roots are these sinkers that come down from the horizontal. So what we, I think, have come to understand is roots putting this out first, then developing sinkers, is a very important component. I've not come across much literature that shows if you start with lots of down roots where the laterals are deflected, the tree is able to put out new laterals to take over the position of these deflected roots. There's not a lot of evidence that 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 takes place. But we know that in nature, this goes first, and then the sinkers develop. So let's look at how that was natural root systems. Now let's look at at from from, uh, field grown plants. What was surprising to us, I guess, was to find that there were only inch and a half diameter roots in Florida on that in five years after planting. That's as big as the roots were outside the root ball. So the transition doesn't take place very rapidly to these few but big roots. That's a 15 to 20 year process. So that's field grown plants. Let's switch to containers. Here's an elm tree grown in a number three air pot. This is a pot designed to reduce circling. And you can see the roots hit the side of the pot and are deflected around and up. And then as that trunk grows to meet that circling root, now you see the beginning of a stem girdling root. That was maple. This is Chinese Elm. And uh, this tree is about this big in diameter, about 10 inches or so, 20 uh, 20 centimeters or so. And you can see a 5-inch diameter root wrapping the trunk on the windward side. And if you look very carefully down in this area, you can see that, that the trunk actually gets several inches smaller in diameter below ground than it does above ground. At least in the places where I live and have worked, that's not normal. What I guess we've come to understand is that at planting, if we look the side of a pot, we see pen diameter roots. Three years later, the same tree now has star diameter roots. And it's kind of like, my daughter would call this a, Duh. Dad, they pay you to figure this stuff out? Uh, but there are still fi- an average of 55 roots out into the landscape on this tree. But what was so striking was just how much of a, almost a solid block of wood this was. So we, wanted, we, we thought that we maybe should look at some of the, the stability issues of, of, some, of these, um, some of these trees. So let's then look at some of the stability issues after, uh, after planting. In pulling studies, we've th- and this mostly comes from pines and spruces. In the European literature, a lot of literature in British Columbia and Canada in the 80s and 90s, and to some extent still currently, basically straight roots that don't branch very much, that are large in diameter, are important to keep trees up. Deep roots are important in well-drained sites, And the root plate diameter is probably the most important on poorly drained and shallow soil areas. That root plate's got to be wide, and those roots have to be straight, or as straight as possible. So here, the forestry literature is telling us, keep these roots straight. And if we get a very wide root plate, the hinge point is a pretty fair distance from the trunk, in this case, about two feet. What are some of the things that bring that hinge point in closer to the trunk that make that tree less stable? We think perhaps deep planting is among them, entering that S-shaped pattern in the root system. That may be a weak point. We think that roots hitting the side of a compacted soil and growing up the side gives us that same S-shaped root system on the main lateral roots. And remember, it's very important on compacted, shallow soil sites for roots to be straight not have an S shape in them. And then you can see how the compacted soil has turned the roots here in the foreground of the photograph. Certainly hitting sidewalks, curbs, foundation, buildings. Instead of these roots being straight now, now they've got a 90 degree turn. in, And we can see major turns in the roots. What's the impact of this on stability? We don't know yet. I'll share some of what we're, we're doing just in a few moments here, but we think that changes, certainly changes, the, uh, the stability of that uh, plant. So let's look at how we can grow trees to this specification. Straighter roots, without putting this, these S-shaped deformations, whether those are important or not, again, is still an open question. So let's look at some of the options growers have across the world, as far as I know. I am not a propagation expert. But there's different ways, and we will not cover all these. Seeds are sometimes germinated right in the field, right in field soil, sometimes in a flat. And they're they're sometimes put in individual containers. Sometimes they're grafted or buds on seedling rootstock. That's very common in this part of the world, where we are right now. Rooted cuttings in containers. It's common in the southeast part of the US currently. And then rooted cuttings occasionally in the field. This is probably less common. So we'll cover some of the more common parts of these. I'm going to go back to this slide on the left. I showed it to you earlier. Because what I'm calling this is slow impact, uh, almost a form of root pruning. The taproot is being aborted, or almost pruned, and the result being the formation of laterals close to the surface of the soil. Slow impact. And eventually, some of these laterals grow to become, they're trying to become a major part of the root system. You still have a pretty good down component, though, in that taproot. I'll call this sudden impact, where we take a germinating seed seedling on the left with a taproot, and this is typically done outdoors in a seed bed, in soil. That root system is too long without any branches, because growers use areas in their field that are fairly well-drained. There's not very much to branch that taproot. Very little cause, in many cases, for that root system to, to generate surface roots, because the taproot likes to go down. So we pull it up, and we cut the taproot. The result of cutting the taproot gives you this adventitious root flare. And it's three, four, six inches below the surface of the soil. So that's a sudden impact. That's very different than the slow impact, tap root slowly hitting an area it doesn't like and then generating these surface roots. Totally different process from the plant standpoint. Now under irrigation, there's some California nurseries that are just starting this now. The adventitious root flare on this honey locust is still evident. You can see that about eight inches under the surface of the soil in that photograph on the, on the left. But then because of the irrigation they're using, and a second adventitious flare is forming right at the surface. So you have this two-tiered system. And you have probably have seen trees like this if you've taken them apart, taken the root balls apart. Under what I guess I'd call current state-of-the-art management, what we think might be a better system is to somehow grow that bold cypress, which I just took apart 110 of those last, over the last couple of weeks. We grew them in these pots, these paper pots, made literally out of a type of tissue paper. And you get true air pruning in that the taproot is, is air pruned. The roots grow out through the paper, through the paper, to the outside of the paper, get root pruned during the day. The roots grow back through the paper at night. They get root pruned during the day. This is the process. This is how we think it works. And you get a wonderful, nice ladder-like root system. This gives us a very different root system, with very few roots along that root shank. So we think perhaps planting this with roots right at the surface. And notice that they are all about equal diameter. None are really dominating. Whereas this root system is very different. We have a very dominant, deep root system with oblique roots growing. Down at a 45 degree angle. We do know that there are certain trees like this Corcus virginiana cathedral oak, which can grow surface roots in this direction, parallel to the surface of the soil, when planted deep. This, This cutting was planted four and a half inches deep. I planted it four and a half inches deep. There were 445 or so trees in this study 14 months ago. And you can see it generated roots right at the surface of the soil straight out. So trees differ, and uh, they're very different. So here you see, this is three and a half years later, you see a very superficial root system and deep roots. This is a cutting, propagated uh, live oak. With appropriate root printing in the field, you get a very dense root system. Here's eight root printings over a period of two years. When these trees are transplanted to the landscape and compared, the trees that are not root pruned, that would be these trees, are much more stressed, 29, 26, 27, where about the mid-30s is a lethal. 29 is about a, that's a near-death experience, let's call it. And then the root pruned plants, you see the numbers are a lot less. This is stem xylem potential being much, much lower. And so, those root prune trees are much more ready to, um, to work out there to remain alive in drought. So, let's switch the containers. And here, are the challenge is to take this taproot sort of natural root system, and, and now we're going to ask this root system to somehow grow in a pot. So, that's the challenge. And again, I'm going back to the same slide because it illustrates the point. On the left, this slow impact. I'll call it root pruning, forming a superficial root system where that tap root hits an area it doesn't like. In a pot, on the right, the roots at the bottom of the pot do not encounter an area they don't like. They enjoy growing at the bottom. Plenty of air, plenty of water. So there's no stimulus to produce a superficial root system. So it's very different root system. So let's look at some of the methods available for correcting some of these. We could... Use perhaps some propagation trays that are different. Maybe we can score or slice the root ball. Maybe we shave off the edge of the root ball, or tease the roots away, or somehow prune off the corners of a square root ball, or remove the bottom, or remove wrapping roots. These are some of the things that we'll cover here briefly. Quick, A quick primer on root pruning. This is the standard pot that a corcus lobata and we chose this species because it is a very tough species to get lateral roots on. Now, Bailey will know that. Bailey, you know it. This area is very common out your area. It wants to put a taproot down. But when you cut a taproot, the new roots, again, grow back down. Get the same thing in here. So when we took these mahoganies and cut off the bottom of the pot, we got a better root system than when we didn't do it, but still so many roots went down. Now, we could tease the roots out, but that only works if the crews are meticulous. And I've watched the crews, and it's very difficult. While the boss is there, this gets done. Maybe you don't run into that issue. But when those roots become woody, you can't. the teasing is over. And this is a matter of weeks. And if you don't do any management at that point, or if it, they're, they're too woody and you can't tease them apart, this is what you'll end up with. As your new roots grow primarily from the bottom of that pot, and those roots will fill the bottom, and you'll have nothing at the top. And I know you've seen that. Now we know where it comes from. I'm now going to show you that root pruning a container about this volume, but it's, it's only about this deep and a little bit wider. So three gallon pots. When shifting them up into bigger pots, or when planting them into the ground, either one, dramatically improves the root system. That's what I'm going to show you now. And under the right irrigation management, if you're a grower, there's very little, if any, impact on caliper and high growth. First, we started with slicing. Here's why slicing does not even work in theory. When you slice a root ball, when you slice a root ball, you cut roots that are growing around the pot. And so if, if I'm a root, and I come out from the trunk, and I hang a left, and now I'm going to go around the pot, and I slice it right there after the turn, the new roots are just going to go right back to where the others were that I just cut off. So they just grow back. So in theory, slicing just doesn't work. So we've, we've done slicing. We published it. This paper was published in 2009, January issue of Journal of Environmental Horticulture which if you're connected, if, if you're interested in production issues, root issues, you know, the Struve, Gilman, Watson, we, that's where we publish this kind of stuff, not in Journal of Arbiculture. So here's some root systems that were never pruned. These are almost three-inch caliper in 45-gallon pods that were never root pruned at any of the pot ups mm-hmm. over four years. And you can see very substantial root defects at the three-gallon size and the 15-gallon size. That's what you're looking at. When we slice the root balls top to bottom in six locations along the sides, from top to bottom, about an inch and a half deep, you could see, still see substantial defects in that root system. So we improved them, but we did not get rid of, to, the, to my satisfaction, to a level that, that I'm happy with. So this is where we are today and this paper was just submitted uh, just a few weeks ago. It's not been accepted yet to Journal of Environmental Horticulture. We're calling it shaving, and it's shaving off the outer edge or peeling the outer edge of the root ball off. We know that root ball shaving dramatically reduces uh, defects. All right, so how do we prevent this? Maybe there's some container types out there that are already on the market that will prevent us from having to do any of this mechanical intervention, which takes time to do that. The short story to this fairly long story on container types is they, many of them, seem to reduce circling. None of them eliminated. They generally push the defects in about an inch. So as you lift them out of the pot, they look great at the trade show until you start getting inside. About an inch, inch and a half, that's where the defects and right, I'd be glad to share why that is later with anyone after the after the break. Let's switch gears a little bit. We uh, mailed this last week to the Journal of Arbiculture, so it's it's fairly new. We, uh, we planted trees at different depths, going into the 3s, into the 15s, and into the 45s. Maples and elms. So planted at grade, at each pot up, this is what the this is what the maples look like. You see some stem girdling roots. Now, we meticulously tracked planting that tree at what we thought was the appropriate depth at each pot up. So the take-home message here is for maples, at least for maples, even if a grower is being meticulous in their planting depth, you're still going to get stem girdling roots on red maple. There n- does not appear to be a way around it. Elms were a little bit better. This is Chinese elm. This is Ulmus parvifolia, LA. You can see the major roots there that come out to the three gallon size and then dive. they just disappear. We don't think this is good. The plants that were planted deep at each shift, for a total of five inches deep, were a nightmare. Here's the maples, and here's the elms. Where those roots are coming from, all those combinations of things that I've already covered. Roots hitting the side of the liner and growing up. Roots hitting the side of the pots and growing back toward the trunk. They'll grow into some of the crevices on some of these special pot types, and just literally come back 180 degrees right toward the trunk. Again, we've documented all this in that paper that I just mailed to the Journal of Arboriculture. All right, so that's, that's a primer, and I, and I hope that wasn't too much production. But here's what I'm finding is that at the grower conferences, there's not a lot of stability. It's, if you track the research over the past 25 years, it's all about getting more roots, not what do they look like. Now, the foresters figured this out 25, 15 years ago. We're just kind of getting to it now, I think, in some sense. So let's switch then to planting issues. So we took some of these trees that we produced with different planting depths as we shifted them up. So some of the trees going in look pretty bad, like this. Some look pretty good, like the first set I just showed you, where the flare was right at the surface. We removed all the roots above the flare with an air spade, or not, at planting. We mulched up to the trunk, or we mulched up to the edge of the root ball, leaving the top of the root ball bare. Because what we think might happen is, when we remove the root defects over the flare by making pruning cuts on the roots, and we put mulch up to the trunk or even back three, four inches, or however many inches, the cut roots are going to regenerate because we've got mulch on top of it. It makes sense. Many of us have seen this happen. And we have two species. So here's what the trees look like, just shy of three inches in caliper. Uh, we grew these all from cuttings. You know, we started from the small plants. What I figured out after doing this for 20 years or so is you can't get trees from the nursery to do most of this work. You've got to start out with your own trees because you've got to know the history of all the trees. Otherwise, you've got all these variables. So here's what the deep-planted maples look like. Absolute nightmare. I mean, and they, they weren't all this bad, but they were all pretty darn close to it, within 50% of this anyway. So we, we drew a circle of standard size on the pots. We air spaded cut off the roots. We had a stopwatch on us the whole time. And we cut down to the, what we thought was the best assemblance of the root flare. And when we, we had planted five inches deep or in production, this is the typical maple mess we took off on top of the flare. That took an average of 12 minutes to accomplish. That's two air spade passes and two passes with our clippers. When we planted at the correct depth, what we think is the correct depth in the pots, we always had roots, but it took an average of close to two minutes. So 12 minutes, two minutes. So if you're going to put in your specs, position the flare at the surface of the soil or maybe slightly above, and you get trees that look like this at planting, you got a job on your hands. It's going to take you quite a few minutes to do that. Will that ever get done is the question. And so here's what the trees look like going into the ground when we root pruned. If you look very carefully, you can see some root pruning cuts there. And here, these are like pencil-sized diameters. Some of the cuts were up to an inch. We've not evaluated the data yet, but some of our maples that we did this to had dead spots on the trunk. And some of the maples that we did not do this to had dead spots on the trunk. So we're not sure yet. Actually, it's in our data set. I just didn't take the time to to pull that out before I came up here, and I apologize for that. So I don't know what the effect of root pruning is, and I can't share it with you because I don't know yet on on stem trunk uh, dieback. Here's the other set of trees that we planted without any intervention at planting uh, whatsoever. And you can see how that branch is to the ground, and it's obviously planted deep in the container. So here I shared this slide with you earlier, and um, I'm repeating it here because we're g- I'm going to show you a planting study we've done now on some pretty sizable oaks. Here's some slicing. That's what we mean by slicing, cutting top to bottom. We sliced a set of trees this big in diameter going into the ground from containers. Containers were this big, 45-gallon containers. We either sliced the root bowls top to bottom, in six places or did not slice. And this is what uh, we pulled the trees over three years after planting. And right about where I've got my pointer, you can see the tree is, is, is dipping down or failing at that point right here. If you look closer, you'll see it toward the end. And obviously, on the right side, it's lifting up. If We look at the root balls. And we grew these trees from cuttings, from cuttings about five inches tall. These are oaks see how the roots go down at the edge of the pot, the smaller pot, not the pot size that we planted from, but the smaller pot. And at that point, that was the failure point. That was the point where that tree was dipping down on the leeward side, on the pull side. of the. So remember we said earlier the roots should be straight? And this is a good piece of evidence that supports that. So we thought, well, maybe if we cut deeper, We went four to five inches and really sliced into that root ball in what, six places here, I think? Six places. Maybe that will have an impact. So we compared that to shaving the root balls at planting, and this is how we accomplished it. We planted the tree in the ground first, put the backfill soil on all around the root ball, then did the root pruning, the shaving. And so the outline in red is the is the container size, and we're cutting about an inch or an inch and a half in all the way around the plant, left all those roots in the ground, just walked away from it. Closed over the holes that we left, the open slices, so there wasn't an air stream uh, going in there. Then we pulled these trees over, which is about as exciting as watching paint dry. Uh, But just to show you what we did, we have a load cell in line. We have an inclinometer at the base. You can kind of see it right there. It's measuring incline or, or tipping. Here's what the data looks like. We've not written this up yet, but right in here someplace, there begins to be statistical differences between no treatment at planting, that's this line here, and both slicing very deeply and shaving gave us a much better attached tree the soil. Now these were little trees, two, two, two and a half inches in diameter at planting. The first study, we've got the second set of trees we're going to pull over in just a few weeks from the same uh, the same group of trees. They'll be a year older. So we'll have some sense of how they stabilize as we uh, go through time. Here's what the root systems look like a year after planting, no pruning at planting, some roots out, yes. But when we shaved, we had more roots out. We counted these, their depth and their size and so forth, more roots out when we shaved. So it makes sense that they were better stabilized to the soil. So the shaving can take many forms. Here's that same tree producing their roots. And here it is cutting on a box in California. Here's magnolia. You can get some sense of how severe this root defects can be. Here's these trees being planted. These are 45-gallon containers with lots of defects on the outside. Here's the root pruning being done. You can see that shovel. It's a digging shovel we use backwards. So you're not, you want to go straight down the side of that pot. There's a close-up of the cut all the way around. We retain those roots in there, and the new roots grow straight through that stuff. You don't have to remove that, apparently. That's what the trees look like. Two months after planting, some leaf drop but no difference between shaved and unshaved. That's what the trees looked like just a few weeks ago, and we'll be pulling those over uh, as well. So we'll, uh, we'll finish up here with, with planting containers. Three years ago, we had roots growing out into the landscape soil. It took us about 7,200 foot-pounds of force. My American cars, and I like torque, and I think of foot pounds. kilonewton per meter, I'll get there, OK? I, I, we can do the conversion, but 7,200 foot pounds of torque or moment. All right, so this is what the trees were doing. And if you look carefully when the, the camera pans back, this is 75 to about almost 100 mile an hour winds. And you can see the rudders on our wind machine are moving the tree back and forth. So we have real eddies and vortices now. We have some strain gauges on the trunk there. But what I wanted to show you was look at this root right in here, right there where my pointer is. It's moving around a little bit. It's hard to do that. But right in, I think you can see it. See how it's acting like a spring? And here's the analogy I use. I'm going to take this wire. And the root grows out to the side of the pot and starts to grow around the pot and then goes out into the landscape soil. So you have this kind of thing in the so the roots acting like the spring. You see, instead of if it was straight, it'd be in tensile, in tension right away. So here the wood is working in shear and compression and tension together because it's got this S-shaped bend in it. The trees all failed similarly. They failed at the 15-gallon size pot where the roots went down. I showed you that earlier and they lifted up at the planting size pot, which was the 45-gallon pot. On the other hand, the B&B took almost twice the moment or force to pull the trees over. Now, 12,340 foot-pounds of torque or moment. Five of the seven trees were so well-rooted in that the trunks broke. So we know the point at which they broke, and we'll be reporting on that data. Then we took our trusty wind machine and blew a set of B&B trees and containers. I think you can see the difference. Now, these, these trees, B&B trees, had root systems. I'll show you here in a second. These trees here, the containers, were in smooth-sided pots and no root pruning and planting. So that's the comparison we made, because we designed this study four or five years ago. Now we think shaving is a better way to go. So to wrap up then, the root systems on the right with straight roots, they represented the trees that were very strongly attached in that last little blow I showed you. The trees that were failing miserably had these root systems that were deflected down and around the three or the 15-gallon pot sizes um, in earlier Shifts. And don't let us in your field. We can really make a mess of your, <laughs> your field. Uh, the last slide I'll show is this number of the, the number in cross-sectional area of roots coming out from the two sets of trees. We had nearly four times the cross-sectional area of roots from the field grown compared to um, uh, the, the containers, and the root number doubled uh, to kind of go along with, uh, with that. So, that is my prepared remarks for uh, today. Thanks a whole bunch for sitting down.
0: This concludes Dr. Gilman's talk on the effect of root pruning and planting depth on tree health, root form, and stability. If you would like more information on tree planting procedures, the ISA offers a best management practice and several other books on this topic. If you are interested in reading more from Dr. Gilman, he has several books available from the University of Florida and from the ISA. This includes the illustrated guide to pruning. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and join us next time for another Science of Arboriculture. In every country, trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need challenge traditional skills and modern techniques whatever language you speak you have a world to offer every day climb with the isa